From the Over the Top Studios in Nederland, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to Over the Top Cycling, presented by Gerard Cycles. Very, very special guests this evening. We are chatting with Leah Goldstein, the overall champion of Solo Ram 2021. Leah, thanks very much for taking the time to chat with us. Oh, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, first question, hardest one we're going to talk about today. How do you correctly right. pr- pronounce your name? I get corrected all the time, and it's not, I'm saying it right. <laughs> you do say it right. Well, you have to think of Star Wars, like Princess Leia, so that's how you pronounce it. It's Leia, not Leah, but I'm not super sensitive, so even if you call me Leah, I'll still answer you. <laughs> and last name? Goldstein. All right. Uh, so... Lots of questions for you. I I felt so fortunate to actually interview you on stage at the finish, but there's so much minutia I really wanted to get into there, and that was so unfair to be, you know, talking with you when you're so tired. (laughs) Right, okay. So, Leah, I I can't even fathom what it was like for you to train. I mean, your plan was to race in 2020. Uh, Mm -hmm. COVID, of course, put those plans to rest, you fired up, you were preparing for 2021, but it's not like there was this big opening. You had a a big air of mystery about whether or not you'd even be able to do the event, correct? Oh, absolutely. Like the land border is, you know, it's still closed today. So our only option, um, and and they they were announcing it every month. Like they were, you know, every month they would say, well, if it's closed or open, closed or open. So we knew for sure, like in February, that there's no way it's going to open in June. So again, our only option was to fly everybody across and then because the land borders are closed and hire a commercial carrier to ship my vehicles across, which is stressful in itself, you know, because things were so tight. And, you know, even with me not having like Canada's a little bit, it was behind the U.S. was getting double vaccinated. I got my first shot, but not my second shot. So just the stress of that, you know, and if the race is even going to happen. So it was it was a tough go, like, you know, mentally. But, um, you know, I was determined to, to get, you know, through the border, get across somehow, because in my mind, I was like, like who knows what's going to happen next year? This could happen again, right? Or the year after that. So, you know, we just kind of gambled and it, and it turned out well for us. And for flying, it wasn't like you just, you know, went in and bought a, a ticket on Frontier. No, not that easy. No, I actually had to um, hire a private plane, private carrier. So it was just me and the pilot, basically, that picked me up in a small, tiny airport on, like, the other side. I basically flew, like, up across the border and back down. It's like a... I don't know, maybe a seven-minute flight. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I saw that hassle, you know, thing. For like 10 grand. <laughs> Up and down, that's basically about it, right? You know, and then, uh, yeah, and then I just waited on the other side train that my vehicle to make it across. And, you know, a lot of people say just getting to the finish line is a victory in itself. And, you know, no, you want to get to the finish line. <laughs> but but wanted, getting to the, finish, to the finish start was line. huge. I know. Line, <laughs> you know? So, I mean... How did you, the budget for RAM is so big as it is. How were you able to work all this in? Because, I mean, I can't imagine you were thinking of these as expenses early on. 
Well, I had an extra year to say because, you know, 2020 was canceled, which, um, which by the way, that I, I continued to train as if the race was happening. So I didn't just hang up the bike. So that was to my benefit because, you know, the, the benefits of training that year led me into the to this, to this year. Um, but yeah, we had to, I had to save a little bit more money. I had the extra year because I knew that it would be, you know, a lot more expensive than, than, you know, planned. Right. So, but you know, how many, how often can you do Ram? And also, you know, my clock is kind of ticking. I'm not 22 years old. I'm in my fifties and I just feel like now is my time. If I want to kind of shine, you know, um, that I have to start doing it now in the next, you know, three or four years for sure. You are by far one of the mentally toughest people I've ever met, but I can't even imagine what it was like to go two years in a row of, is the race going to happen? How did you keep yourself motivated? Uh, You know, you just have to be positive. I mean, like I said, I couldn't back out of any of the training and stuff, but it was was tough. It's always in the back of your head, like, you know, is this going to be another year of nothing? You know what I mean? And that would be of anything. Like, you know, last year, I even talked to you that I want to come and do an East race across Oregon, right? We're talking, oh, by by July, the borders are going to open, right? So I couldn't do anything. So what we did do um, is we replicated races here. We did, like, a a three-day, like, a 1,200-kilometer race, or I don't know, that 800 miles or something like that, kind of to replicate what it feel like through round, because it's not good just the train so we kind of did two or three races like that with my crew and just just like just like the round start exactly the same thing just so i have the feel of it and, you know you, your body will not forget kind of the the torture it's going to go through for 11 days or 10 days well then how about assembling a crew because i know you didn't bring a lot of people from canada because that would be prohibitively expensive so you had a lot of a number of your crew from the united states but had you worked with them before? Yeah, actually, yes, I, I have because I've done the shorter races. Um, and most of my crew, actually, to be honest, they're primarily from the United States. I've only had like you know maybe two or three that were from Canada. And for me, it was even more important to keep you know American American crew just because of the expense. And also, you know, with Canadians coming back into the country, you have to pay for a three day hotel stay of $2,000. And then after that, you have to go home and quarantine for another 14 days. So you tell me who, you know, who has that kind of time, right? You know what I mean? Let alone like Ram in itself is almost a month, right? That you're taking somebody's time and then asking them to do that. So, and I couldn't afford that, like, you know, to pay 2000 extra dollars for a three night stay for every crew member, you know, that would come from Canada. So in that respect, that's why we kept it primarily. Like, I think I only had two Canadians and that was it. So Leah, I was actually so happy to see you at the front of the field because I've seen you beat all the guys at a number of my events. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So I wasn't surprised. <laughs> what was it, though, in 2019 that really motivated you? I saw you at the finish. We had a nice discussion there. And you mm-hmm. already were talking about, I am coming back in 2020. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, for 2019, I took like almost eight years off the bike when I, my last, my last ultra race, um, and your body kind of forgets, and we had a lot of issues with navigation, um, and you know, I think with Race Cross America, I think you always have a better time when you do it the second, third, or fourth time, you know, and for me, I think it was just 
something in my head saying, you know what, you're you're better than that. Which I'm going to say that I know that I won, you know, this race. The conditions were atrocious. We can get into that probably a little later. But for me, I was disappointed with the time, right? I mean, I trained for a, a closer to 10 days opposed to the 11-day mark, you know? Um, but as you know, just with those conditions, it was just incredibly difficult to ride fast and incredibly difficult just to keep your core temperature low. I mean, the stuff that we went through and, and, and you know, just to keep me cool, it completely slowed us down. I mean, you know, three people finished the race, right? And even teams had not, you know, crossed the line. So I know that a lot of, you know, ultra riders may be thinking, well, that's not something to brag about, but it was just, you know, those conditions, I I don't think anyone, there would be no records broken, I'll tell you that much, with anyone else that would have come to that race. I'm sorry, but to me, that makes it all the more phenomenal <laughs> that you overcame all of that to uh, have your victory. That's, uh, and I don't want to get into my event, but I mean, I was out there riding in it. It was brutal. It never got below triple digits at night. You didn't have any recovery. How did you... I, I, well, that's exactly, exactly. I mean, George, you know, going down the glass elevator, I mean, I, I had to convert from Celsius to Fahrenheit, but going down the glass elevator, I mean, I could feel my eyeballs burning. That's how hot it was getting, right? And it was 7.30 at night, and it was almost 47 Celsius, which I think is a 110 or something Fahrenheit. I'm not sure, sorry, my, with my conversions here, but it was just incredibly difficult. Like I just like, oh, oh my gosh! Like it, and seven thirty at night. <laughs> you know what I mean, and then the next day, um, the hottest point where I saw it on my um, little Garmin there, my little Brighton that I use, is uh, it says fifty one Celsius. You know, and with plus the hot asphalt, you know, emitting heat from underneath the bike, it was just insanely hot, right? And and to keep cool, like I, they used like an ice sock that was wrapped around my neck, and then I could, you know, every three to four minutes, my crew would be up the road with a, a bottle of water that I would just douse myself, right? You know, and through Kansas, for example, I burnt my back right through my jersey. Oh. My, I was blistered. That's the intensity of the heat. You know, and one of the things that I think we can overlook when you're dousing yourself with water, your chamois pad gets really wet. How did you avoid saddle sores? You know what? Actually, it dried so fast. Oh, it did? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was it. I mean, I'm not kidding. Because that's what we were concerned about. Like, oh my God, man, it's going to be. But it dried so fast that it wasn't terrible. I mean, yeah, you, because of the heat, you know what I mean? It's important to change a lot and stuff, but... In all honesty, with that kind of heat, I, I mean, even when we, I was soaked, like completely soaked with my jersey, like five minutes would go by and I was bone dry again. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's how hot it was. So when I'm trying to tell people, they, it's hard to, to even, you know, to, for them to visualize or to experience, you know, what I'm talking about, right? Just, you, you have to just, just stand in 50 Celsius, let alone ride your bike. <laughs> you know right. I mean? oh. See how long you last out there. <laughs> it, it hurt to grab the brake levers on the elevator. Elevator. Oh, yeah. You know, the air, like, you know, on the tram truck, like the pads where you rest your elbows. Yep. I couldn't, I had to uh, take my, I had one one bottle that was just water that became like boiling water. And I'd have to wet them because I couldn't even put my elbows down because they were black, which is not a great color. But, you know, you, who's, you know, you don't think about those kind of temperatures, you know, racing those kind of temperatures. But it was, yeah, it was that hot and same with the handlebar, like the plastic or the hoods are, you know, that little, um, the spot where you rest your hands. I had to constantly doused it with water because you couldn't touch it. It was like touching a, a hot stove. 
Uh, it was insane. And really, the first break didn't come till the second night um, in Arizona um, on Mingus Mountain. I assume you were kind of in that area. I don't remember breaking the second night. <laughs> we had in Colorado, it was, I mean, it was even climbing like, you know, Wolf Creek Pass, I, I remember, like it was close to 30, right? I mean, those temperatures in Colorado. We had a little bit, I, I actually got lucky. I got had a tiny, like I got stuck in that big storm that happened. I don't remember where it was. And I think I got rained on for like maybe 15 minutes. Like hallelujah, you know, and I just thought, <laughs> and I hate the rain. The like, people know me. Well. I can't stand the rain, but I was begging for snow, let alone rain. You know. <laughs> well, that and my next question is: you know, you live in British Columbia, and mm-hmm. what were the temperatures like for you? Well, it got really hot up there after Ram was over, but. You know, in Netherland yeah. here, I live at 8,300 feet. My hottest day on the bike going into raw was 80 degrees. Mm-hmm. Well, because like you said, I live in I live in British Columbia, so, you know, our temperatures are very mild. I actually don't live in Vegas. I live um, five hours east, so we do have hot summers here. However, I learned from the last round, you know, to climatize by going to Borrego Springs 10 days before. So that's what I did. I was in Borrego Springs. However, <laughs> that 10 days, it wasn't even hot. It was right. the same temperature. <laughs> it was at home for me. I go, damn it. You know what I mean? No, I'm not kidding. The whole, it was, it was like 95, which is hot. But I mean, we're talking for, for desert hot. That's not that hot, right? You right. know? And so I was training in these mild conditions. And then bang, the day of the race, it jumps up, you know, 10 degrees, right? So... Anyways, <laughs> but that's race across America. You never know what you're going to get. You have to expect the worst, right, and, and just deal with it. Now, how did you deal with your neck issues? I know you had your hair done, and you started out uh, with your neck taped? Yes, I always do. I do the, the braids that were the, um, the uh, French braid uh, tensor bandage into the top part of my head, hair, sorry, and then they pull my uh, they pull it back and tie it to my heart rate monitor. Now, I start my races like that right from the, the day one. Um, and I also do very intense um, uh, strength training for my neck and a lot of uh, more core to this year. And, you know, they said that you can't train tremors, like, you know, correct it because I've had really bad tremors neck. And I didn't even have an inkling of pain this time. You know, so there is a way to deal with it for sure. But I think just the support of that. I know it sounds outrageous for some people to have your hair, you know, pulled back and holding your head up, but it definitely works. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things that you said you really worked on, you're a phenomenal climber already, but you worked on building up your power on the flats. Did you notice a difference Mm -hmm. when you got into eastern Colorado and Kansas? Kansas, though, like we had, you know, Mark was right behind me. We we fought a, a headwind for like 19 hours. It never gave, right? It was just hot as hell and hard headwind. Which 2019, I did. I had kind of a cross tailwind a little bit, you know, at near the end of coming out of Kansas. And this year, not. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely felt there was more power there. However. You know, because of the conditions, I, I couldn't ride it as fast as I did in 2019. But it made a, it made a huge difference for sure. The you know just training a little bit more on the flats. And then, what was it like when you were in a back and forth battle with Mark? I think you're both people who are riding your own race and not really influenced by someone else. But 
Was it a pick-me-up? And then what was it like when he left? Well, you know, I knew Mark. He's a nine-dayer. Like, he has, what, how many times has he done it? Like, 11 times or yep. something, and he's fast. And I know that he likes to kind of come from behind and kind of do the second part faster than the first part. So I knew he knows this race, right? You know, there's there's no doubt about that. Um, but you have to stick to your plan. As you know, George, you know, you can't, you know, all of a sudden start racing in Kansas or whatever and blow yourself up and then you're going to suffer for the next three days, right? So we kind of had a plan. I knew that in the Appalachians, I'm a good climber. I would go a little bit harder if I can keep him kind of within reach, right? Then I would challenge him more, I think. You know, that's where I was going to, if there was a gap to be closed, that's where I wanted to make my move is going into the Appalachians. But going into the Appalachians, I actually passed him. Um, and then when I went down for my break, he didn't pass me. Dude, that's how it was. If he passed me, I passed him. He passed me. You know, we went down for our breaks, right? And then when he didn't pass me, then I knew something was up, right? Because I took a 90-minuter uh, little little break, and then, you know, my crew said that his um, tracker thing wasn't moving, and so I knew kind of something was up. And then later that day, they told me that he had he had pulled, but... As you know, you can't claim victory in Race Across America because anything can happen. We still had a long ways to go. So I wasn't making any victory speech or, yeah, who I'm going to win this race, right? You know, can't do that. <laughs> so we just kind of stuck to the plan. I stayed calm and then, you know, a little bit of a hiccup a mile before the finish. But I don't know if you heard, like I kind of collapsed off the bike. No, like, I, I was just, just going to bring that up because I feel like yeah. what you said is so spot on. You can never claim victory because so much can happen in that event. Absolutely. absolutely. What happened? Oh, my God. It was, okay, so we were like, I'm not kidding, like less than a mile from the finish. And my heart rate shot up all of a sudden to 200. And my whole body started to tremble. I was, I, I kind of like fell off the bike into a, a patch of grass, right? And I couldn't move my legs and my arms were like, I was shaking like I was having a seizure or something, right? You know? So, um, I started, started to walk cause I couldn't get on the bike. Cause yeah, I know you're allowed, as long as you have your bike. So I started walking and, and I couldn't, I, I just, I couldn't get back on the bike. I couldn't pedal. So I walked to like I think about 300 meters before the finish there's a there's a descent and my crew member actually gave me her running shoes and I you can see how I finish I'm I'm finished in pink running shoes and my two crew members are running with me across that finish line you know I don't care if I had to call across I know the bike has to come with me you're not to do it I would have (laughs) called across that line but but you know what I'm talking about like say I don't know say they had to take me to the you know to the hospital because they want to call an ambulance because as soon as I crossed that finish line, you see the fire trucks and the ambulance comes and they're taking all my vitals and everything. And I said, I'm fine, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, like I said, you, you never know what can happen, right? And that's a mile before and, and we're all stressful. Oh, my God, can you imagine if, if you can't finish a race, you know, race across America one mile before, right? You know, but I, we weren't stressed out too much because I had a pretty good cushion from the guy from Eric behind me, right? You know, I was... So even if it was to take three or four hours, I think we were still pretty safe, but I just wanted to get to that. I mean, you could see it. I could taste it. It was right Right. there, right? (laughs) I just had to somehow get there. (laughs) So what did you do after you crossed the line? How long were you there? What did the uh, medical folks say to you? And uh, did you have to argue with them a little bit to say, uh, no, release me and I'm going? Oh, totally. They totally yep. wanted me. So I had to like, sign a waiver, you know. I said, I'm not going to the hospital. 
There's no way, right? You know, George, I just did 11 days of torture in the heat. <laughs> My electrolytes were probably out of whack. I was super um, overheated the last, like, like uh, 150 miles, you know what I mean? And I wasn't really drinking well. And you know how you just come to that point where you just want to finish and you're not thinking about anything else? So, I mean, that's what happens, right? When you, you put your body through hell, it's going to say, screw you, I'm not going any further. So that's when your brain has to kind of convince it just a little bit more than you can rest for the next two weeks, right? So, yeah, I mean, as soon as I sat down, I had a little drink, whatever, 20 minutes later, I was fine, right? But I just think it was it just everything kind of the buildup and, you know, the sleep deprivation. Yep. It, you know, that's, that's round for you, though. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, all this that happened to you right there when you came in, wonderful crowd at the finish. And the thing I kept hearing more from anyone was, gosh, she doesn't even look tired. <laughs> well, I had a little rust in the van for a little bit, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, it's not my first story. I've, I've done it before. So, like, like we really did a good job with my my sleep pattern and stuff. It was just, you know, the speed was off, right? George, everything else, I can't, I mean, if the weather was more normal to Ram, whatever, I think it would have been probably a, a lot different for all of us, not just me, but for the other riders too. A lot more finishers, I'm sure, you know. Um, but that was the, the biggest challenge. It's just, it was just the heat. I don't know if, I think, you know, from what I understand, this is probably the hottest, ram ever in, in the history of the race i'm not sure if that's exactly correct but well it's man oh man the race <laughs> the race used to start and you know i love to say back in the day but, um, when right. we were doing this in the early 90s it was always the last weekend of july so the day temperatures in the mojave were generally up in the 120s the thing is oh it, the temps broke at night so i had never okay. been out there where it didn't get down into say the eighties and at night you got a break. And this year yeah. it didn't happen. It was so hard. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, yeah. I mean, even in like, even in 2019, like going through the desert, it was hot, but at nighttime, I mean, I remember putting on a vest and arm warmer yeah. because it cooled down quite significantly. Right. And I know a lot of people, they actually slept during, you know, even when it was like a hundred or 110 or whatever it, what it was in 2019. And then they, they wrote it at night. Right. But like you said, I mean, boy, I, I don't think I ever, I didn't wear arm warms. I think I maybe pulled out one pair at one time. That was when it rained and that was about it. But like you said, it just, it just didn't give, it just didn't give. Now, where did you finally get some kind of a break or did you get a break at all during daytime temperatures? No, daytime, not, 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 not nothing. I mean, nothing. I mean, at nighttime, I, I, um, I started, like, I had a, a sleep. We had a, a huge lightning storm, so that was the time anyways I was going to go down for an hour and a half. And then when I woke up, it rained a little. It was still kind of raining a little bit, but super warm. Like, you know, it was kind of like a, having a, a hot shower. Um, that was that was it. And I was saying, okay, this is nice. We're just give, give me this for half a day. But it lasts about an hour and a half. <laughs> That's what I got. <laughs> but I'll take it. I'll take the hour and a half. <laughs> no. Well, Leah, I'm going to ask you, I would really like to do a second interview with you and maybe another week, if you've got the time, uh, to Absolutely. really get into the details of your race. Um, because I'd like to get very specific on nutrition and how you were able to hold those calories in with that heat and uh, sure. your strategy, your sleep, and all of that. 
But I really wanted to, to talk to you about what we covered this evening uh, and hopefully have you come on again, uh, like I say, next week. Oh, yeah, anytime. For you, Jordan, I'll do it anytime. You just let me know when and, I'll, and I'm on. <laughs> Leah, it has been fantastic chatting with you. Thank you so much. And I look forward Thank to you. talking with you again very soon. Yeah, me too. Thanks again for having me, George. Have a great day or good evening. From the Over the Top Studios in Nederland, Colorado, you've been listening to Over the Top Cycling, presented by Gerard Cycles. I'm George Thomas.